podcast by Agile Coaching Roundtable ACRT. This is a conversational and interview-based podcast channel where we interview agile practitioners, trainers, and coaches that share their experience, wisdom, and insights regarding all things agile. Hi, I'm Ramya Shastri. I'm Vivek Kuntoji. We, we are your host for the podcast by ACRT. So let's begin. If you are listening to our podcast for the first time or have not yet subscribed to our podcast channel, hit the follow button on your podcast streaming app now and give us the rating. Also, if you wish to contribute to Agile community, share this episode with your friends and colleagues as well. Hello all, welcome to yet another episode of the podcast by Agile Coaching Roundtable ACRT with me Vivek Kuntoji and my co-host Ramya Shastri. In today's episode, we have Brian Finster to talk about continuous delivery and DevOps culture. Brian is a speaker, writer, co-author of the book, The Modern Day Cybersecurity, and a passionate advocate for continuous delivery with over two decades of experience in building and operating mission-critical systems for a very large enterprises. He is currently working as a value stream architect with Defense Unicorns. Without further ado, let's welcome Brian. Bran, uh, welcome to the podcast by Agile Coaching Roundtable. It's a great, great pleasure having you on our show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thanks so much for inviting me. All right, so today uh, we are going to have a conversation with you on the topic uh, CD, that is continuous delivery uh, or continuous deployment. Uh, the uh, reason uh, for having this topic particularly with you is uh, many of our listeners who are uh, like beginner in this uh, area or in this space and they do not know uh, much about this space and uh, last time we did uh, a podcast with uh, Krishna Kumar and we thought uh, we would have a detailed conversation uh, with you on the similar topic so to begin with uh, I would uh, want to understand a uh, basic question what exactly is continuous uh, delivery and why should someone new to DevOps be interested in this? Uh, well, continuous delivery is the ability to deploy the latest changes on demand. It means we're always in a releasable state. Um, that anytime we make a code change, that change can go to production. It doesn't have to be exposed, but we can always deploy at any time. Um, I see you, anybody new to DevOps, the entire um, reason for DevOps is to improve the flow of information to give fast feedback on what we're doing to find out what's wrong. Um, I, I tell people all the time that none of this agile made any sense to me at all until I figured out it was on fast feedback loops, right? And that, that I internalized that everything we do is in some way wrong. And that's the expectation. Like, I really figured that out. everything made a lot more sense. And continuous delivery is the method we use to find out rapidly what is wrong so that we can course. There's no point in doing DevOps without continuous delivery, and you can't do continuous delivery without DevOps. And, and, and just to be clear, when I say DevOps, I mean the union of people, process, and to enable the continuous delivery of value to the user, a team, it's not platform engineering. Platform engineering is contained within DevOps, right? It's everything to go from idea to the end user, get feedback, and make the idea better. Really? Uh, so I'm good to, uh, in, in terms of, uh, to start with, I mean, uh, that's a very uh, interesting or maybe obviously uh, when we talk about uh, continuous delivery, uh, it, it obviously is something which part um, part of the uh, DevOps thing that we talk about, and uh, rightly saying that we cannot have a segregation of both. I mean, if if we are saying we are talking about DevOps, obviously the the continuous delivery comes into picture, and even if we are talking about continuous delivery, obviously we you know the uh, the uh, I would say the online la- layer about 
it would definitely be the devops practices and again obviously it's it's the right way to say it's it's a culture and when we talk about culture definitely the the uh, the people interaction the people the process everything comes into picture right uh, so to uh, to uh, talk more about it uh, right now uh, many uh, maybe just just from a curiosity point of view how can uh, continuous delivery bring advantages to companies at this point of time and particularly those operating with their legacy systems or you know uh, and not limited to startups i mean i understand there are a lot of new age technology organizations directly moving into uh, the continuous delivery but how about the old uh, way of driving uh, values or driving uh, deliveries how do you think uh, those can uh, take advantage of continuous delivery But first, I want to start with the the startups. Most startups are starting CD, even though there's no impediments in place for them to do so, and even though uh, they set them up for set themselves failure by not starting the CD, they don't. Uh, and it baffles me. But I learned to do continuous delivery working with a system that was twenty uh, plus years old. It was the Well, that system was a twenty years old, but it was the amalgamation four different twenty-year-old systems banged together with a new common database. If you can just imagine, I do all of that effort as well. If you can just imagine the complexity, twenty-five million lines of code written five different languages, um, and we could only deliver a, almost four times a year on average. Now. Just imagine the impact. This this was a core enterprise system that was running the business. Um, it it took us a year to get some idea to get a business request delivered because we measured it well. That's unsustainable. And if you want your business to survive, you need to be able to respond faster than twelve months to change. You know, new acquisitions take twelve months. Uh, you know, new customer base opens up. It takes you 12 months to exploit it. I think that doesn't work. And what continuous delivery did, though, was we, you know, continuous delivery was the solution to a problem. Almost, we we had to speed up that lead time. And the leadership team to us was engineers and said we need to figure out the delivery every two weeks and set the every quarter. And so when we started digging into it, we. And continuous delivery. Started looking at what we would have to do to get that done, and, and went back to our VP and we're going to go for daily, and not every two weeks. Two weeks is an aggressive. We need two weeks, monthly. We need for daily, and might get weekly. You know, aim small, miss small. Um, when we discovered along the way of doing this, well, wasn't even just a discovery. We knew we had to rearchitect. To get to continuous, we had this entangled monolithic system where a change in one section over here made cascading unexpected changes in somewhere else, um, and we knew we had to to change the system to make it deliverable. What we did was we organized the teams around business capabilities. We took domain-driven design seriously. Um, we thought seriously. We architected how the teams were to interact with each other, and then started peeling out parts of the system to assign to those teams to make those parts of the system work a little. I tell you, we never got the full system decomposed for many reasons: leadership changes, business priorities changes. We got core pieces of that system pulled out where you could deliver both teams, um, and it just came from. Doing it in a very deliberate fashion, starting with design first, designing for deliverability, designing for independent teams that can deliver in any sequence and not being chained together in any way. Um, the outcome was, yeah, I mean, we could we could get uh, um, requests from the business and turn it around within a day or two, deliver it to production, and say, what do you think? Get feedback, change. So again, if I mean. Uh... For our listeners, and would you be able to explain uh, what a continuous delivery in mode uh, is about, uh, especially comparing it to the traditional way uh, of uh, development? 
Yeah, I mean, the traditional method of development has been we're going to have the development team code and then we're going to send it off to a testing team to test and then the testing teams can find all these defects and send it back to the development team. We're going to do the cycle back and forth a few times. Um, in the meantime, the future work on is getting stale. And then eventually we're going to deliver it only to find out that the actual requirements were wrong. Um, and then we're going to have to like start all over again and adjust from there. With continuous delivery, what this means is we bring everything left of breezy control, right? So we're going to do all of our coding and testing, um, the, the human parts of it, before we commit. We're going to look at our pipeline and as the thing that validates each one of our artifacts is releasable or not. We're going to identify all of the things that determine for this application what defines releasable in our context. You know, is it secure enough, flying enough, performant enough? Does it function? You know, the, the, the things, right? And we're going to encode all those. Pipeline is going to be valid. If it's rules-based, we encode in the pipeline. If it's rules-based, it's probably emotion, and it shouldn't be a deployed block. There are some emotional things, like, is it usable? You know, how does it feel to use it? Use, you know, is, the, uh, is it just friendly, right? Machines can't tell if it's friendly. Only people. But we can friendly without blocking deploy. We can just use and see if it's friendly to use. But it's not a decision we make to release. We encode anything about releasable release decisions into the pipeline. And then we do all the work up front. And I know at a high level, this sounds really, um, you, you know, it sounds like I'm saying it's easy. It's not easy, <laughs> but there's, there's, there's fundamentals that you really have to focus on if you're going to do this well. And the, the thing that we started on when we were learning how to do this was the requirements for garbage. It's continuous delivery. You have to keep integration to do continuous integration. We have to know what something will do before we start. If you're, if you're dealing with crappy requirements, you have no idea you're doing exploratory coding, you know, asking the product owner or somebody to play around and is this what you meant, and then trying to pull test. So when we, I, I like literally surveying teams what all the And what we landed on was, okay, we need to start with behavior-driven development. We need to get in a room. We need to sit down and identify all the scenarios, detestable scenarios, find the behavior of the store, and then code those scenarios. And that was a huge game changer. Just that one thing, behavior-driven development, caused so much positive impact. I started in right? I was just lead on the team. I started going around the entire enterprise giving presentations on BDD because of how powerful it is. Wow, uh, that that's the exactly same comment that I was going to make when you talked about it. It seems easy. Uh, so when you talked about uh, getting that legacy system of 12 months of deployment into uh, like weeks or maybe once once a day you are deploying something and getting that core uh, things uh, maybe uh, deployed uh, or maybe uh, done in a continuous manner. So that's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, how is it sounding so easy when we know that it's not that easy? And you already broke down a bit for us. Maybe uh, I would like to maybe uh, elaborate this. I mean, if for an example, if I'm uh, completely new to this uh, DevOps and CD world, what should be my first steps in understanding and implementing these concepts uh, in an organization or a team level? So at the, at the team level, um, you really want to start with continuous integration. Uh, literally, the, so to your point about it sounds easy, it took us without any coaching at all. All we had was the book and uh, people like me Googling things, trying to figure this out. Okay. And then coming back to team say, let's try this. Um, the way we started, though, was I wrote up on a piece of paper in my team's area. Why can't we get today's code on the Trump today? Right? I mean, how do we get, you know, I wrote the rules for integration for CI up on the board and said, why can't we do this? And then every day, let's work on this problem. Right? Wow. And, and, and 
focused on let's solve this problem with CIs. Let's find out what the problem is. Oh, well, you know, we started with requirements are garbage, but then things are too big. Let's put things down smaller. We need help with that as well. Um, we have a external testing. We had the contractors doing testing and they were doing a really bad job. Um, we didn't know how to test. We'd started. I mean, just imagine that. We didn't know how to test because that's all been offloaded to external testing teams. We had to learn how to test. Okay. All of this took a year. That's a really short time. And you think about we had to learn some fundamental skills. Uh, it took us not very long at all to be testing better than the contractors testing ports. To the point where I had to go and, you know, part of this, right, is it's the people part. I had to go to the testing, you know, the QA area and to negotiate with them about how we were going to be testing ports so that we could keep going faster because we could have a I would ask these handed off to them. We can't have a hand. All the trusts you guys said before. So it required negotiation, developing those pierce, you know, leveraging relationships, building, building new relationships, collaborating with them about how do we test this better and you know help bring testing mindset into the team instead of offloading testing to another team. There's all of these things that we had to do. But it was solving this one problem. Why can't we integrate to the today with non-breaking? It's complete, non-breaking code, testing code that we know doesn't break. Yeah, uh, again, uh, also you spoke about uh, two to three different things in terms of uh, trunk-based development, uh, BDDs, uh, and the initial thought process of uh, the fundamental uh, basic requirement of developers understanding how to test the code or how to test their own lines of code is what uh, was really missing. Uh, I mean, on uh, extending on to this part, I, I think, again, uh, this is where I would like to talk about is in the culture part. I mean, how does CD definitely impacts the culture within an organization? Because uh, initially developers were supposed or they were they always assumed or uh, thought about as we would only be writing lines of code. And then when this uh, continuous delivery came into picture or people started more focusing on it, that was definitely required to change the mindset or to think beyond line, writing lines of code. So how does you know, CD impact the culture within an organization and what challenges might teams face in embracing this cultural shift? Well, it's a lot to you know, and it also depends on how your organization is structured. I've talked to many people who have a, their organizations are aligned into feature teams where those teams are just responsible for coding and then they go on to another feature. CD doesn't impact them at all because their entire organization is structured around poor quality. And I say that because quality comes from me getting feedback about where poor quality exists and being and owning those outcomes. When you structure teams around business capabilities and that team owns those outcomes, you get better quality. This is why Amazon teams work better than a lot of other teams is because that team owns that capability birth to death. They don't get to just work on a, uh, on a feature and hand it off for somebody else to operate, right? And this is part of that DevOps thing is I, I, I built it, I own it, I can run it, okay? Um, if it breaks, I fix it. And having that culture um, not only means you get higher quality, but you get faster feedback of whether it's a good thing to do at all. And on teams that, uh, in, in this organization, building teams from those business capabilities was closer to a subset of the business. We had much tighter collaboration with that subset of the business. Um, and it gave us a lot more conscience what we were developing because we didn't, you know, instead of finding out next quarter that something's broken and then being up all night long for a week trying to fix things, it would break immediately and we can fix it immediately and it wouldn't be broken anymore. Uh, in our test suite, because we got feedback of that and bring our test suite all the time, we had much higher level of confidence that we're I'll tell you that the outcome going and learning how to do CI together as a team, learning how to break things down together as a team, going on this journey together as a team, and having a high level of confidence that what we were doing is not only valuable, but also what's it going to break? The, 
morale in the team just skyrocketed. And the reason I proceed these so hard, yeah, 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 it's great for the business. This is just objectively better because we're going to make things more efficient. We're going to ask for feedback. We, we can't do CD without things more efficient. But the morale on the team was so high. And the punchline of that is teammate and I gave a talk to them about the Price Summit in 2017. You can find it on YouTube. Hard. Um, you know, so, uh, it was, it's the hard talk. Continuous delivery, solving the talent. We talked about the passage. You look to higher talents. You start to focus on problems. Talk about what we did. At the end, we talked about if you take teams, if you're a manager, take teams on the journey to your delivery and you get feast for how good it can make your lives. And then you get cold feet and back off and tell them they can't do that anymore. Um, they'll probably quit. They, they will keep pushing for CD, maybe not for you. And the reality was that we had had a management change. That management was trying to back off CD. Um, I had left the area and gone to platform area to help drive CD from there. And my teammate on the stage was within his two weeks to go to another organization because of the decrease and enjoyment job. Wow, that's uh, amazing. I mean, uh, you spoke about uh, getting that uh, culture and mindset uh, right, right? And uh, in your uh, previous example, you talked about how you got that uh, strong, uh, I mean, rigid system. You decomposed and uh, got it uh, up and running, maybe multiple uh, deployments uh, with, of the critical components, right? So, just wanted to understand, to get that culture right, how long uh, it took for you to uh, get uh, that thing uh, decomposed and get it up and running? Well, to decide how to align the teams, and this was, this was also really interesting, uh, the, the, the group responsible for deciding how to structure the team was a bunch of managers. What they did was a bunch of senior engineers who had deep business knowledge of the area. Um, I, I think nobody had less than 10 years of experience um, in that business space. Okay, Most of them had experience in that organization. I hadn't, uh, so we're talking supply chain. I had supply chain experience outside that organization. There were a lot of arguments about what the business capabilities actually were and where they belonged because a lot of people learned those business capabilities by using the old systems. And so they thought because the system did that, that's what the business capability where it belonged. And so we had, we spent a couple of weeks trying to hash this out, but we finally wound up with, you know, uh, we were just sitting in front of whiteboard having conversations every single day trying to draw out what these boxes are. I drew a big box and said, where else we this? And then we started drawing boxes where the business Receiving, inventory management, pallet movement, you know, these things that you do inside a warehouse. And uh, finally came to a consensus about what those boxes were going to be. And then we picked the first set of boxes, design teams around this. But it took a lot of discussion about, I mean, what is it versus what does the system do today? And I'd say that, that took like a couple weeks to design those, those first teams. Yes. After that, it was just talking out to teams. It was HR, right? It was like getting management line, getting the teams put together. It honestly didn't take very long because we did have a lot of questions in SVP. We need to get this done. Yes, yes. Absolutely, absolutely true. I mean, completely uh, aligned to uh, your thoughts. And also, in, uh, while you were uh, talking previously about uh, how initially, you know, it used to take a year or so to get something done or delivered or, you know, and then uh, similarly deploying something. Obviously, uh, uh, the the culture of DevOps approach or uh, continuous, uh, not or, I would say definitely uh, the uh, continuous delivery uh, promotes a thought process of uh, doing things quicker or maybe as, you know, when we align it with Agile, obviously the... Yeah, when we align it with Agile, it's like more doing it uh, frequently. So, uh, in, a, in a certain way, it also promotes that we need to work onto smaller uh, batches of work or maybe smaller uh, changes of work. 
and why are, i mean smaller changes do we can we say it in that way the smaller changes are considered better in series or and how do they contribute to the series success can we or is it other way saying that no i mean a larger chunks of work can also be uh, no successfully done with series yeah and, and, and this is a common thing i see people confuse the speed with batch size and yeah it's not speed frequency uh and, and what you try to do is you try to shrink the size of change um so shrinking batch size has a few positive and i just haven't identified any negative benefits it is the negative consequences number one if trying to sh- to ship smaller things means that we're going to find reasons why we can't ship small things these are waste and inefficiencies in our in our flow okay uh you know if you look on linkedin you can see that i i list myself as a value stream architect and that's what i really focus on Correct. um is how do we re- remove the waste and and drag and all the, just the, the the reasons why we can't ship so we should talk things these smaller things also means that we can give faster feedback on a smaller bet. Everything we're doing is wrong. And what we're doing is we're delivering a hypothesis whether we acknowledge it or not. And we're trying to find out if our hypothesis is correct or not. Whether we acknowledge it or not. Okay? If we assume it's correct, we'd fail. So we just need to assume this. But the bigger the chain set is, the bigger the bet. Right, and when it fails, it fails worse spectacularly. So, smaller batches mean we have a smaller batch. It means if it breaks, it's going to break supply. Right? Um, it means that we're going to deliver less unused stuff. If the, if I make a huge change and deliver it, how much of that's actually needed? Right? With smaller batch sizes, I can deliver what's needed right now. And expand on a later if they need to, or not. We may not need to. You know, we might satisfy the need with 60% of what we talk about. What's that due to portability of code? 60% less code. What's that due to how much it costs? Or 60% less cost? And of course, ongoing maintenance costs that aren't there because we didn't burn code. The best code is code never written. Right? So, shrinking the size of change uh, gives us all these benefits. Now you look at things like dormant metrics. They talk about deploy frequency, and deploy frequency is about how small we can change, not how fast changes. We want small changes. Just as a developer doing code review, I don't want a code review thousand lines to change. I can't. Not effectively. It'll take too long. I'm, the eyes will blaze over. I need small changes so we can determine quickly whether this is, you know, whether there's any problems that are agreed to, so we need to fix or we'll read the shit. Wow. Uh, this uh, this uh, small question led to so many uh, new questions. <laughs> <laughs> One is you talked about uh, like uh, failing, uh, I mean, uh, having a large batch out, and once we fail, I feel that we fail uh, with a big bang, right? So you you release something large, and it will fail. If it fails, it there would be a lot of noise. But if if you uh, release small batch, if it fails, there would be a less uh, noise around it. I could literally visualize that what you said. And second, you spoke about your uh, LinkedIn profile where you mentioned about the value stream architect, right? And this is exactly what I was discussing with Vivek uh, uh, in in this afternoon. uh that uh the uh, uh designation or role whatever we may say that makes so much uh, so much sense right i mean even if we do not think from the role perspective but if we have to really break down that i mean what does value stream architect do uh maybe uh, uh that person would break down the business uh, capabilities into different different or smaller smaller chunks of uh, value uh, delivery or value stream that we can release independently right so that's what i was uh, uh, i mean discussing with vivek that if all the organizations have such uh, maybe the role i think it would make most of our life easier yeah, and and it's it's from my perspective you know so the, the role of value stream architect is is still really new uh, i i heard about it from mccurston in 2018 And when I saw what the role description was, I was like, "Oh, that's what we do." That you know, when I was leading a 
team that was doing something sort But the perspective I have in a rule of value stream architect is, yeah, you're looking at, number one, what are the value streams? You're looking at how the organization's aligned around all the you know, team structure and the different domains. But even down to how are the tests architected, how is the application architected, it's, it's the empty set, right? And it, it can be, it's really broad and really deep. It's whatever we need to do to get closer to why can't we deliver today's work And so it's just that, that one mindset. Again, the thinking around all change because I had it. Uh, people ask me, oh, well, how do I make this massive refactoring with continuous delivery? Like, why would you do a massive refactoring? You do a whole bunch of small refactoring. <laughs> I mean, why? You'd never make big change. Uh, I talk to people about uh, APIs. They're like, well, we're going to make this big freaking change API. I have never versioned. I have never broken. I will put a versioning process in API just in case we have to make a big change. But I've never needed to because everything's evolutionary. You just get in this habit. I'm always making small changes that are backwards compatible. Wow. That- no, they don't have to be infinitely backwards compatible. They don't, they don't have to be infinitely backwards compatible, but they do have to be backwards compatible to all of the current consumers. You can migrate people <laughs> and remove old cruft but you have to do everything in a friendly forwards and backwards. And in the conversation, you also did mention about uh, Dora as well. And I think uh, we would definitely like to discuss, or would you like to share more about it? Uh, what what precisely, uh, whether it makes a difference, whether it not, whether there are certain data that we can pick based on that and make a uh, informed decision? Well, I actually wrote a paper called How to Misuse and Abuse Dora. Dora metrics do matter, they, but a lot of people don't know what they matter for, and so they use them for the wrong things. And some of them matter, some of them can be instrumental, all right? But not all of them can be instrumental. And um, if you can't instrument them, I don't know if they're useful. I think from a point of view of, you know, how fast can we recover problems, I, that'd be a good thing to know, but I, uh, I think there's other ways to get that. I think it's, people should read Accelerate. Really read what they're trying to accomplish by doing that survey that, that came up with, a, you know, they call it four key metrics. Then focus on Appendix A and accelerate around the 24 behaviors that will drive organizational improvement, and then use some of the dormants and some other things, um, to see how the, to understand the health of the system. They're not impulse; they're health indicators. Use them as health indicators. Identify where the system can be improved to improve health. Never use them to judge. Never use them to compare teams. They're there to, they're, they're just helping you. It's like taking your blood pressure. Along with multiple other indicators. Never use them in isolation, right? So uh, there's lots of mistakes people with those metrics and many other metrics that uh, read my paper. You can hear, see my perspective on it. Vivek, would you like to talk about uh, the similar thing that you, uh, you wrote uh, just a few minutes back? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, that is what always the intention should be whenever we talk about metrics or something that we are looking into to make an informed decision. Uh, a decision making cannot be on an isolation. Uh, I mean, if we're doing it on an isolation, I think it will lead us to on a wrong path or maybe it will not give us that right uh, decision making because it's it's all about a single a single entity that based on which we are making a decision so obviously when we take into consideration there needs to be a lot of validation on what are the 10 different other things that we are looking into the system and based on that thing we what what are the problem statement we are trying to solve and whether this this data that we have in hand uh, will make any difference uh, to make a decision that is what i always believe in with any kind of metrics right you know, and, and here's the, the problem with most of the popular metrics that you see out there, right? Door metrics are not alone in this. 
Yeah. People don't understand the problem they're trying to solve. They just apply metrics. They're like, oh, I have this new silver bullet, right? And if you don't understand the problem, Bora metrics are measuring continuous delivery behavior. That's what they're measuring. Because their hypothesis is continuous delivery has all these positive benefits. Now, you know, I, I see people accusing people all the time of doing cargo culting around team topologies, accelerate, all these things. Um, team topologies is, is a, a one that I see mentioned all the time. People are say, oh, you're cargo culting team topologies. <laughs> this journey I talked about is something that went on years now, I did find their blog while we were on this journey, before the book came and did find some tips in there. But the first thing about organizing teams that we talked about was done. We'd already done it. It was just confirmation that other people were doing the same thing and, and seeing positive results. Same with Accelerate. Accelerate came out in 2018. I got a, pre, a pre-release version in 2017, but for already years down the journey of understanding the continuous delivery, yielded better outcomes for the business and the teams. Well, Accelerate is burnout. And also gives us a, a, a better way to talk to other areas of your organization about what we were seeing with like, hey, here's the external data, which is smarter news because it's external to us. It's a, all the different these books are not saying anything new. This stuff's been around for decades. It's just putting it in a, in a way that makes it easy to communicate to people who don't know. But people who are just applying metrics looking for silver bullets, they really should like study these things before they try to implement some sort of solution. Wow. Well, you always have a different take, an interesting take on things. I mean, uh, I have also read your uh, take on uh, the McKinsey productivity uh, thing as well. But that's a topic for the different day. <laughs> so that's a topic for a different day. We would definitely want you to come back uh, on this show and talk about it at length on that particular topic itself. And uh, now, now coming back to uh, our main uh, topic. So since you already uh, touched upon uh, the testing and quality assurance, right? So I would like to understand what is the role of uh, quality assurance in a CD environment and what changes should QA teams make to adapt the CD principles and how they can add value to the development process. So one of the roles I had um, before was leading a team that helped other teams achieve teaching your slope. So we were technical when we did technical coaching, we were all engineers. None of us were agile coaches. We all had to learn how to coach because we were engineers, not people, people. Um, the world, we would run into teams all the time where they would have people in the team assigned to testing. That harms everybody. That harms the developers. It harms the people that are assigned to test. It's, it's a, just a terrible job. Okay. The role of quality assurance should be to help design a better quality process, not to test it. That we need people who know how to break things, tell people how to validate that we're not breaking things. Here's how I break it. It's just like having a pen test. What you really want is somebody from security telling you what you're going to be breaking so that you can find ways to add security validations and determine that you broke it. And security is just another quality aspect. It's the same with functionality, right? You need people saying, hey, this is what, this is how we're going to break this feature. You don't need it after the feature is written. You need it when we're talking about it during the DDD process. We need to walk through what, the, how the feature will be created and have a conversation about how it can break and then write scenarios for that. And then we need to have people looking at the test architecture. Seeing what's continuous delivery is pipeline duration. You're, you need to be very sensitive. I was talking to Michael Nygaard one time uh, over lunch. Michael Nygaard wrote a great book called Release. But he told me that he used to have tests in his pipeline that if his unit tests ran longer than 15 minutes, the pipeline would stay. The force refactoring of the unit tests. Uh, you know, the, the pre... So if you look at a pipeline, I break it down into you have a CI testing. And then, which creates an artifact that you should version. 
And if you have additional testing to validate that artifact, they were the rest of the acceptance test in the artifact. That CI portion, if it looked to longer 15 minutes, pipeline is in, right? Because that pipeline duration is so sensitive, right? Uh, and so having someone from QA looking at how we're structuring our tests, what are we testing for when in the pipeline to get fast feedback as inexpensively as possible? Like, do we have a whole bunch of unit tests that can be consolidated into large and journey, you know, like uh, uh, you know, business functional tests that cover more, uh, but still do the same job that all those unit tests did faster with less tests? Then we need to architect. We need to change the architecture. Which is, it's somebody focusing on that, not someone writing it. First, not somebody keyboard pounding and doing manual acceptance. Well, nobody should ever do manual acceptance. And again, I'm. Uh, uh, it's like the continuous delivery. Definitely, uh, what I could say is that obviously it's like more focused towards customer in terms of generating the value or what they are looking at for. But obviously, I want to talk maybe in different terms over it. What is there for the developers? I mean. Uh, how does it make a difference to their, you know, way of developing or to their life in terms of, you know, uh, the satisfaction that they look for? Uh, would you like to talk about that as well? Yeah, so if you have a developer who doesn't like teamwork at all, they're going to hate seed butter because CD takes a lot of teamwork, right? But if you're an offer who doesn't like teamwork at all, you should probably be self-employed, right? Because high-performing, it takes a high-performing development team to, to write useful software. Um, sorry, my dog is working. Yeah, it's fine. Um, but on, 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 if, if you're responsible for delivering something uh, that's like actually useful, then having the assurance that number one, you got a team that has your back, that you're all working on together, that nobody's a single point of sale. Uh, that, that, you know, every change I make is going to be a small thing and get rapid feedback. So, uh, you know, that, because just that that need to make sure that you're not just like coding off into a hole somewhere, right? I mean, how often have you, I mean, this is happened to me, you know, you work on something on a branch for like a month and then it can't go anywhere. For whatever reason, there's multiple reasons. You might have coded yourself into a hole, the merge conflict too large, it's not useful. There's lots of reasons. This just sucks the joy out of it. But if I'm on a team and I'm delivering a small thing and it's getting delivered and I can get it, I can, I can see it being needed because I can find out it's breaking. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I, I, you know, when I started in this industry, that's how I did develop. And we're, and so we're talking. Uh, well, I first job was in 1997. So I started then, literally, how we did development because it was just like a me interacting with the customer and they need to change and change, throw it out there. You know, that's that's just how how the job worked. And when I'm toward delivering a recorder, the fun is delivery, it's not the code, and the fun is seeing the code being used. And delivery is an addictive thing, and, and you know, and you, you start getting these endorphins every time you ship. And, you know, I was, my team wasn't shipping five, one time a day when, you know, before I left the team, we were five times a day. You know, we had a graph showing which service was being delivered, how many times a day. Up on wow. <laughs> right? Uh, and it was fun. And we had fun. Right? It wasn't just a slot. I went down for everything. Yes, I agree that there's a very interesting fact that you said is like that there's always a fun and there is something that developers always look at for them in terms of the motivation that they look for. I mean, if, if something is being pushed to the environment, uh, the, if, if it, uh, the piece of code is being used by someone as a feature or as, as, a, as a, uh, uh, a value add, definitely that gives them a kind of joy a kind of motivation for them yes you know this is not stuck into the into the uh, system as a process 
or something is no it has go through a lot of uh, gates in getting it uh, deployed obviously something is worked around something is been created they themselves want to validate it so that they get to know the pulse of the customer so that's that's again an interesting fact that you shared what is there for them to be uh, more uh, happy about and working on the yeah. challenges right yeah, because also to your point, the challenges, right? If you're not just having the business problem, you're solving the problem of why can't we solve the business problem? I mean, all the all the technical challenges and 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 not just technical, but also the personal challenges, the uh, uh, culture challenges, uh, you know, just because it is process challenges. So this is something we didn't talk about when we started that journey back. Yeah, we were using say. Now, I'm a known hater, say, because of how many <laughs> teams in multiple areas of that organization. Um, but when we were told to go do this, we were told we had no rules. There's no rules, right? As long as we're, you know, quality. But there's no process rules. And so I went to the team and said, we're starting with no process. And we're going to go find all the agile things that people tell us about. We're going to add costs when it adds. And if we can't identify the value, we're not going to do it. And that's how we are. It's on viable process because it's people, process, and product. Product, we had a team putting Jenkins pipelines for us for the multiple, for the different languages we had. So that we could have to go and learn Gravy from scratch. We could just consume their templates and expand upon them when needed. Right? We had product. Minimal viable process, and the rest of it was just how to organize the team and how do we get everybody outside the team to stopping us aligned so that we can go fast. You get to solve all those problems. That's fun. Wow. Uh, as I mentioned, we uh, love your take uh, on many things, and uh, we would want uh, ha- to have a conversation on different, different things as well, but uh, just uh, with the interest of time. Uh, the last question, and uh, maybe uh, we can uh, continue our conversation at, at the next episode uh, sometime later. But for this episode, a uh, last question is: uh, In my experience, like many teams have come across obstacle in enhancing our CD and face challenges in improving. What are your uh, suggestions for them? Uh, in my experience, usually those challenges are external to the team. Internal teams should be easy to fix. Right, extra team is not. You need to go and find. So, in our case, we had an SVP who was pushing for better. If you want CD to happen and you don't have that level of air cover, you need to go develop. If you can't develop the level of air cover, you're going to really struggle to do more than just meter air improvements. And if you can't get that level of air cover, honestly, my suggestion is to go somewhere where you cheat. This is so important to me that I will not work anywhere where I can this way. Just straight up. If I can work this way, I will work for you. And nobody else who's good will be. So, if you're senior leadership, beware that if you're not, if teams aren't able to work this way, you don't have good developers in your organization who are willing to stay. Absolutely. So true. I mean, this is something uh, most of them neglect. And I think when we are trying to build some culture, uh, be it uh, the CD culture or maybe the DevOps culture, or maybe even when you talk about agile culture, it has to always uh, uh, need to have an agreement from the leadership. And we need to make them aware that, I mean, if uh, this is not how we are going to do it, then uh, you will lose on uh, most critical people uh, in your team or more key people in your team and they're not going to stay. I mean, I think that's the mirror that we need to show uh, to the leadership. I wrote a paper too, because uh, I actually wrote a paper about all the things that you have to have in place if you're as an enterprise trying to win. And one of those things was you had to have that, that partnership between the, the, the what I call the red shirt, or well, what Gene Kim calls the red shirt, I call it the thin red line. There's people who care about the organization being better for their peers, for their business, and, and just 
put the quality of life, right? Um, and they will try to drive forward improvements at the grassroots level. You hire consultants from this. You have people in your organization who want to be better. But you have to have leadership who's not just open to it, who's actively cheering for it and creating incentives around it. They're helping those people and they're helping everybody between them and those people get an alignment to what we do to change. They're cheerleaders for it, they're actually participants in the change. If you don't have that, it's going to be a real struggle. Every successful change I've seen, you had a senior leader, you had CTO, SVP, somebody who was actively cheering in and cinematizing the that they replied to the team and not just you go and fix things. Wow. That's it, does. So- it takes a team effort. It's a team effort and they have to be a team member. You have to be a team member or the improvements. Absolutely. I mean, that's so uh, true. I mean, uh, I I cannot uh, agree more on the point that you have mentioned. Uh, everyone needs to be onboarded with the idea of getting that culture in place, and only then can we operate at a grassroots level, or maybe just being open to the idea and not partnering with the team and expecting them to uh, get it done is not something uh, going to be. Uh, I mean, that is not something uh, that is going to work, right? Uh, that's an absolute, uh, I would say, gem of an advice that you have uh, given. And thank you so much, Brian, for your time and uh, uh, coming over and doing this for us. It's a, uh, literally an honor for us to have you on our show. And as I mentioned, we want you to come back again and we want to have a conversation on other topics and your take on other, other such things. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, I would like to mention one thing. Was put together a, a website called MinimumCD. And based off that experience of solve these problems and the act of solving them is everything, right? And it's just a list of problems that you can say either we solve this problem or we can solve it. It's not principles. You can get somewhere else. It's just problems. So you go to minimumcd.org. If you with it, submit a pull request inside or submit a, a, an improvement. And, and, yeah, definitely we are going to uh, link uh, that uh, minimum uh, uh, cd.org uh, in the description of this uh, podcast for our listeners and for viewers to have a look at it. And uh, definitely uh, if you have any other links that will help our uh, listeners and viewers, then uh, we can link those as well. Uh, any uh, closing notes uh, from you, Vivek? Uh, again, uh, Brian, this was a wonderful uh, experience having you over here. And I think there is, obviously, uh, while we were discussing, there were a lot of technical discussion. And I think we can definitely have a focused technical coaching kind of a podcast or maybe an episode with you, which will which will help a lot of agile coaches and scrum masters and definitely developers as well. And I think we can definitely talk more about it. But for this episode, this was an amazing conversation with you. And thank you for taking our time and sharing your inputs with us. And again, thanks for allowing me to share. I think the more that we're out there talking about these things in real terms, the more developers we Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much listeners for listening to us patiently. We will meet you again with new episode. Till then, if you like this podcast, please do like, share and subscribe to our podcast show. The podcast by Agile Coaching Roundtable ACRT with Ramya Shastri and Vivek Kuntoji.